four sides. Only four? Only four? You got him in front of us, behind us, to our left, to our right? You want him above you? You want him below you? You want him in you? There's more than one side out and more than four sides out. Surrounded by God's presence. Surround us, Lord. Um, last week, we talked about the passage in Peter's letter. We were, we were talking more broadly last week about the challenge that we have in the world today where so many Christians are no longer uh, Christians. Uh, they've chosen to leave God, to leave a life of being disciples of Jesus. They've left any connection to the church. And so often they will talk about how that has brought them a great relief and freedom in their life. That gives us as Christians who have a desire to seek and save the lost, a challenge that is not, was not present in the past but exists today and in the future in different ways. Because you can't just go up to people today and say, hey, can I tell you about Jesus? Because so many of them, want their answer is, oh, I know about Jesus. Can I tell you about my good God? And they say, I already left your God, and I didn't find him to be that good. Hey, can you just come and visit my church? It's full of people who, and they say, listen, I'm just going to stop you. I've left church. I don't do that anymore. And our world is full of those people. And, and one of the things that was striking to me last week is, is that as I, as after the sermon, so many people came up to talk to me, and their response was not something about anything I had said. What it was was the name of someone who that person cared about so deeply who was not following Jesus anymore. Family members who have left a life of faith and a life of obedience to, to Scripture and to God and to, to living in the church and being uh, identified as Christian. And it was clear that, that that is something that weighs heavily on many of our hearts. And at the end of, of last week's sermon, we talked about how, uh, you know, so often we just think about lost and saved and right and wrong and black and white. But, but maybe a more helpful way of thinking about the challenges that exist for those who are in the church and out of the church today is found in Peter's letter. Where Peter writes about how Satan is like a prowling lion who crouch, crouches around looking to devour his prey. And if you've ever watched the Discovery Channel, what you know is that the way lions hunt is they split off the herd, and they split the herd, and they split the herd, uh, which matches a lot of church history, is we split, and we split, and we split. And then they get to where even the smallest groups, they're splitting into just ones and twos, and the ones become the ones they're hunting for, the lion food that they're looking for. And the lions devour those who they can isolate, and it's often the young and the old and the weak and and that's how they work. In our world, we know that it's those that, that, that are spiritually struggling for one reason or another. Or those who have been wounded sometimes by the church or by a life of difficult faith. And they're isolated. And it's in isolation that the lion is going to have the most success in devouring its prey. And so the challenge that we have as Christians today is to not go tell the world why it's wrong, is to go warn those who are living in isolation apart from the family, it's safer in here. You can stay out there by yourself, but we really wish that you'd come in here where, where Satan's not, not prowling around trying to devour you. 
We wish that you were in here where it's safer, where, where we can look after one another, where we can protect one another. Now, we've got to back that up by looking after one another and protecting one another. But this is a hard thing. This is not an easy thing, and I don't have a quick three-point plan that you can go and do this and all the broken and challenging uh, in the lives of people who are broken in their relationship with Christ today. And so last week, what I invited the church to do, and I remind you of it as we begin today, was that you would not look like the three monkeys that so famously have covered their eyes, their ears, and their mouths, but that instead that we would, as a church, pray, Father God, help us to be, help me to be someone who sees lost people. Help me, Father, to be someone who is willing to do the long work of hearing their stories. Father, help me to be someone that after seeing them and hearing them has a word to offer them of God's love and God's truth. And there's more to be said about that on another day, but there's so many people that want to talk all about the love, and there's so many people that want to talk all about the truth, and we've got to learn to be bilingual when it comes to being people that speak love and truth, because God's got all of those in Him, and we need to have all of those in, in us. And so this is the prayer, and I invite you, and I'm, I'm, honestly, I'm, I'm begging you to be praying about this in the months and, and year to come. That we would become a people who have the ability to not look like the monkeys, but that we would be a people who see the lost, hear their stories, and speak to them in truth and love. And it is a big thing. On the one hand, it feels so easy, right? On the one hand, it just feels like, hey, go talk to someone, ask them what their story is, listen to it, tell them yours. That feels simple. It would be easy to say, hey, listen, we want to be a church that goes to two and three services. So all I need every one of you to do is invite two people. If you do it, we're at three services. Let's go. Giddy up. But we're not planning for three services next month because it's harder than that, and it's more challenging than that, which is why we need prayer to become people that does what we often think is impossible, but with God is not impossible. And it is difficult because you know that not only does it mean that you've got to figure out a way to talk to people, but you know that someone in your family has told you that on Thanksgiving, you're not allowed to talk to your other families about God anymore, right? You know which of your neighbors have said, hey, that's fine for you, but I'm going to mow on Sunday. Leave me alone. I don't talk about that anymore. You know that the, the boundaries of this are stretching us thin, and they make us uncomfortable, and they make us afraid. And, and so it's, it's tough. And so when last week, my, my real invitation to you is that we need to be praying about this. There might be a temptation to walk out of here and to think, man, he didn't give us anything to do. He didn't give us a solution. He didn't give us an action plan of what we need to be doing as a church to begin bridging the gap between those who have left Jesus and those who are still here breaking the bread of the body of Christ every Sunday. That gap's still here, and your solution is pray about it? Why don't you give us a step-by-step -step plan? Because there's a temptation for us to ask, if this is such a big deal, if this is such a crisis, shouldn't we be doing something about it and not just praying? 
Someone said, ooh, they felt the weight of this, right? There is a uh, dynamic that exists in recent years in our country and in different conversations uh, that when a crisis arises, and especially a crisis that involves human violence, as there's a group of people that rush to say, all of those who are victims and the community that surrounds those victims are in my thoughts and prayers. And there's a counter-conversation to that, right? Where another group shows up and says, I'm sick and tired of your thoughts and prayers, but you not taking any action to make a difference in this world. Stop praying and do something. I've got to say, if for those whose thoughts are, I wish that people who pray and are prayer-filled people about the state of our world would match their actions to their prayers, I'm sympathetic to that. If we, when we prayed to God, God, I wish you would bring peace to this world, became makers of peace, our prayers would be more powerful and effective. If we were people that said, God, I saw someone the other day and they just looked lonely and beat up, I wish you would send someone to go talk to them and we realize that God's solution might be sending me, that my prayers might come with the commission and a job description, that God might send the one who offers the prayer to be part of his solution to it. We need more people whose prayers have an action wrapped into them. And so whenever someone says, I'm sick and tired of your thoughts and prayers, I want your actions, if what you're saying is that if your prayers aren't matched with you backing it up in your life, I'm sympathetic to that. But I take issue with the idea that prayers don't matter. I take issue with the idea that prayer is not active and effective. I take issue with the idea that if we pray, you're not making a difference. And I think to some extent, Christians have been responsible for creating a difference where people think that prayer doesn't change things and that prayer is ineffective and that prayer doesn't matter. But I'll tell you right now that I believe that when people who are made in the image of God to rule over this creation call out to the God who wants us to be his children and who claims to be our father, that when we cry out to him and say, God, we want you to show up and change things, I think God's going to show up and change things. And I think that that happens even more when we are a people who pray with expectation that he's going to do that. I believe that prayer is very effective, that it is an action step in our lives, that God can show up and interrupt the way things are going, that he can change our circumstances in, in our world and in the world around us as a result of the words that we send to him in our heartfelt prayers. Prayer matters. And I've got to ask, do you believe that too? And it seems like an automatic yes, except that I think if we, if we go backwards a little bit in the world, that we begin to realize that we have some bad prayer habits in our past that are affecting how we don't expect God to answer our prayers today. 
that we lack expectation, that we lack anticipation that God will hear our prayers and that God will answer our prayers. And if you don't believe that he was, that he can do that and that he will do that, I'm not quite sure what you're praying about. If you're someone that believes that prayers are a place where you can go and sort out your thoughts and that it's therapeutic, uh, that's great. But your prayer life is as effective and powerful as a dear diary journal at the end of the day. Let you sort your thoughts, can be formative to you as a person, that you reflect on things, you realize things are better than they used to, you might even be grateful in ways for things that are they're better today than they were yesterday. That's all there, and that's all good. But if we don't think that God can change things as a result of our prayer, our prayer life is limited in that way. And so we need passages like James chapter 5 and verse 13 that was read earlier today. And, and here's what... Uh, it says, is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other. Pray for each other that you might be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. What is it? Powerful and effective. So just to review, here's what I want you to do. Kind of close your eyes and imagine the last, you can close your eyes or not, I don't care. Visualize the last week of your life. Monday, what'd you do? What'd you do on Tuesday? So a good day or a bad day? Was Thursday a good day or a bad day? Did you have more successes or more failures? Did the people around you disappoint you or did they uh, make you proud? When you look at the circumstances of your life, did you have more disappointments or more uh, things that exceeded your expectations? So here's the question. How many of you had a good week last week? Good week last week. How many of you had a week that you could do without? It was kind of a bad week. Some bad stuff happened, tough week. All right, some of both in the room. Now, here's what you need to hear. Is anyone among you in trouble? Here's another way of saying that. Did you have a bad week? Then you should pray. Did you have a good week? Are you happy? Are you responding to your circumstances? Go, man, it's a pretty good week. Things went well. Good things happened. You know what you should do? Sing songs of praise. That's another kind of prayer. It's another kind of prayer. Are you sick? Call on the elders to pray over you, anoint you with oil. You can be healed. Do you have a sin problem? Confess your sins, and you can be healed of your sin problem. There's forgiveness that's in store. Why? All of these things are true. Because the prayers of righteous people are powerful and effective. They're powerful and effective. They require for them to be powerful and effective a God that shows up and changes things. These prayers are not dear diary entries where we just kind of send God our thoughts at the end of the day and he kind of responds with a rubber stamp that says, read it, and we kind of go, good, it was read, it was sent, it was delivered, it was received, that prayer was effective in letting me process my life. Your prayers are not a diary entry. 
Your prayers are a heartfelt message and appeal to the creator of the universe who created all things by the power of his words to show up and change your circumstances. God, make things better. If they've been better, it's God, thank you that they were because I know you're in charge and you've helped them to be better. It's giving gratitude and thanksgiving. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective, but we forget that sometimes, and it's not a surprise that we should. There are some who, even today and in years past, have taught that the way that God answers prayers is through natural laws. And what I mean when I say that is um, when your loved one is sick and they need surgery, what you do is you pray, God, I want to ask that you would use the doctor's education and skill and hand and guide it to do the work that it knows how to do. And you would use the science that you gave us that led to the medicine and the treatment and the procedures that they would be successful. And that through these natural laws, God does all of his work in the lives of those who pray to him. And it limits God to the, the limitations of our natural order of things. So that if the surgery is successful, you say, God answered that prayer by giving the doctor his skill and the science that technology and the pharmacist that medicine so that healing occurred. Glory be to God. But the thing that I think is, is risky about this limitation of God showing up and interrupting one is that we see him over and over again in, in his word and in his scripture set showing up and changing things. But the other one is that it, it doesn't recognize that prayer is powerful and effective. If all you think is that God can only work through the natural laws of this world, then it doesn't take a powerful and effective prayer. It seems to me that if the doctor's skill that God gave him and the procedures that he gave him and the medicine that he gave uh, to her are going to be things that that doctor can use to heal you, that you could lack faith, lack belief, lack any kind of obedient lifestyle, and it's extremely possible that that science and medicine and doctor will work on you just as much as the believer. And so if it works as much without faith, and without obedience, and without a relationship with God, as it does with faith, and with obedience, and with a relationship with God, then how can you convince me that, that this prayer is powerful and effective, but without prayer, you kind of get the same thing? That's not powerful and effective. And we live in a world where, where some have taught today and in years past uh, that the days of God breaking into his world and changing things on behalf of those who ask him to closed, that it was a window in time, that they say, yeah, of course that happened in Scripture. But, but once the Bible was put together in the form that we have it today, uh, miracles had a purpose. The purpose of miracles was to show that God was powerful and in charge. The purpose of miracles was to show God's favor on the one who, who conducted the miracle who said, get up and walk, who said, uh, let the rain stop or the rain fall, or the one who would, would do all kinds of powerful things well outside of the forces of nature, but that that was done so that those who witnessed it might believe that the one who performed them was sanctioned by God. Now, we don't need that today. Why? Because we've got all the incredible stories of all the good things God's done. 
and we know his word and his law and his teachings and his desire. We know his character. So we don't need the miracles to perform it. And so Jesus says, blessed are those who believe without seeing. Who those uh, come to believe. And now that's, that's true. We do have scripture in a way that they didn't. And, and it's true that we see God's favor on those who did these things in scripture. And that happens differently today. Because we have God's word. And when we study it, we know what God desires, we know who God is, we know who God desires us to be, that all of those things are gifts that we have in God's word. But the idea that once this book got its front cover and back cover, that then God said, all right, your prayers can go to being less powerful and less effective now because you have my teachings, you have my truths, have the stories of all that I've done and who I am, and that should be enough for you to have faith. And then I get a loved one that's got a disease that's debilitating. And I read James chapter 5, which is in this book that God has given me that tells me all the things that I need to know about who God is and what he does. And James chapter 5 tells me if someone's sick, I should have the elders anoint them and pray over them so that they can be healed. And if you've got a sin problem, you can pray over that and God can heal that too. And if I'm happy, I should sing songs of rejoicing. And if I've got troubles, I should go to God and he can change my circumstances. And, and the idea that someone would say, just read the book and you don't need to pray about those things anymore doesn't seem consistent with the Father God I'm reading about in the book who tells me that if I pray to him, those prayers will be powerful and effective. And if you understand powerful, powerful things move stuff. Weak things don't. If my prayer is powerful, I should expect it to move stuff. If my prayer is effective, I should expect, expect it to have a change on the thing I'm praying about. It should be transformational in the circumstances I'm praying about. So if your prayers don't reveal that you have this expectation and anticipation that when you pray to God, he's going to show up and interrupt and transform things on your behalf because you asked it, I think you're selling God short. And I think he wants you to pray more. Jesus, on one occasion, is telling uh, about a parable. It's uh, in Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this parable of a persistent widow. And Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said... In a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought, which, by the way, is a Jesus way of saying, terrible judge. This is a bad judge. He doesn't fear God or care what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to, to, coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, even though I'm a terrible judge, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. That's a persistent widow. A judge is looking at this widow going, she's going to whoop me if I don't eventually listen to this stuff she's saying. 
She takes this seriously. And even though I don't care what God thinks, I don't care what anybody else thinks, I don't care what this woman thinks, this is bothering me and inconvenience me. So I'm going to do what she wants so I can be done with her. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? And so here's this story. Jesus says, listen, there was a bad judge and a persistent widow begged for justice and begged for justice. And he finally says, if you'll leave me alone, I'll give it to you. Now, sometimes the way we read this story is, and God is like that judge. God is not like that judge. God is just. God is loving. God is, in, in the, the translation that Jesus gives of the parable, he says, God's not like a bad judge. God's like a good father. And if you appeal to him as his chosen ones and children, he's going to give you the things you desire and give it to you quickly. You don't got to beg. God's not going to wait till he's afraid you're going to attack him. God is desiring to give you the things that you ask for. God desires to give us those things. There's another story, uh, instruction given by Jesus. It's in Matthew chapter 7. It's in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's talking about praying to God. And here's what he says. He says, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. To the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how much to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Parents, i, I got to ask you, I think parents all have some moment that they were able to watch their child open a gift from them that unlocked the magic of this world in some way, that unlocked the goodness of this world in some way, that they opened it and their eyes lit up and that gift was so good that that kid thought, my world will never be the same again now that I have this gift. Now, we all know as parents that they're going to play with it for three days, and that's the end. But in that moment that they open it, and they're just, they're just alive with the hope and the potential and the joy of this gift. And as a parent, you know that feeling that gives you? That just unlocks that in you? When you pray, God has a gift waiting for you. And God is ex as excited as you are when you give your kid a good gift, saying, please ask. Please just ask. Ask for this gift because I can't wait to give it to you. I can't wait to see you open this. I can't wait to see your gratitude. I can't wait to see how it unlocks hope of a future where you get to live with this gift I've got in store for you. Just ask. Just ask. Because I've got it. I'm ready. 
And so God tells us, if you're the kind of person that asks and seeks and knocks, I'll open all the doors. I'll give you all the gifts. Because your prayers are powerful and effective. Why? I got out of order. Go back a couple slides to the, the poem that I, I want to look at just briefly. Why are our prayers powerful, effective? Is the power in the prayer? There's a poem by James Lawrence where he writes, It is not the power of prayer, the strength of my needy request upon which I place my hope. For what are my prayers if not an appeal to the mercy, power, and love of God? Is the power in my praying? Is the power in me as the one who offers the prayer? Absolutely not. I don't have the power to see my prayers answered. Is the power in my eloquent speech? Is the power in the words I choose, my vocabulary, my grammar? Is my prayer more likely to be answered if I offer it in the King James Version? Throw in a little thee or a thou. For thine, O Lord, is the giver of all the gifts and the, um, the claimer of all the things. It doesn't matter if you use the right words in the right order. Have all the beauty and poetry of the world. The, the power is in the one that you're appealing to. I'm appealing to the mercy of God. I'm appealing to the power of God. I'm appealing to the love of the one who says that he is father and I am child. And when I appeal to that one... Those prayers are powerful and effective, not because of me, not because of the prayer, because of the one who hears it and the one who can't wait to give me the gifts that I'm asking for. Prayer is powerful and effective. Prayer changes things. And so when we look at a world of lost sheep, and I tell you that we've got to start by praying for the lost and praying that God opens our eyes, our ears, and our mouths. I'm not telling you, let's be passive right now. I'm not telling you, let's think about this for a while. I'm not telling you, let's sit still, sit still instead of getting out and doing something about it. What I'm telling you is we're going to get busy and we're starting with the most powerful tool that we have, the tool of going to the one who created all things through his words and asking him to give us what we need to take our next steps. Prayer can change God's action, we read about that in the Old Testament with Moses changing God's mind, Hezekiah changing God's mind. But prayer can also bring about a change in me. Prayer, when honestly entering into the presence of God, can bring me closer to God. Prayer, when I come into the presence of God, increases my gratitude and thanksgiving. And you know what gratitude and thanksgiving are the prescription for? Anxiety fear, and anger. Because I'm worried about now, but if I remember that I was worried about yesterday and God took care of it, I don't have to be as worried about today. Right. I can have more confidence in tomorrow because the God who got me through that has got control of this and he's going to get me to that. So it reduces anxiety. It increases our calm. Prayer reorients us. We think that we're the biggest deal in the world and we're in charge and control of everything. Prayer reminds you that you're not and God is. 
And if he's in charge, you don't have to worry so much about your stuff because God's got it. God's in control. It changes me. Prayer can change me because it helps me remember that there's an entire world out there beyond the tip of my nose. It reminds me to pray for others. It reminds me about the needs of the world around me. It reminds me that, that my self-absorbed self needs to be empathetic towards the needs and cares and concerns of others. It reminds me that God's mission is not just focused on me, but it's outside of me, and it reorients my, my focus not just on me all the time, but on those who are around me and those who are God's outside of me. Prayer can change me because it reminds me that I can stand up to and resist temptation. Because prayer brings us regularly into the presence of God. And, and being in the presence of God should shape and change how you're able to deal with temptation. Here's why. There's a lot of reasons why. God molds us and shapes us by the power of his spirit working in us and through us. But there's another principle that's at work here. Um, a couple times when I was growing up as a child... I colored on the walls. I know. You're thinking, you still turned into a preacher? God forgave me. It's okay. Colored on the walls. Um, you know what I never, you know, I never, never colored on the walls in front of my mom. That never felt like a good idea. At no point was I like, hey, mom, in the living room, watch this colored on the walls. Now, some of you got kids that are a little bit rebellious. Maybe you've been in that world, and God be with you. We'll do a sermon on that someday. <laughs> It'll probably be about patience. All right? He'll get you through it. Um, but I never was tempted to color on the walls when mom was in the room. Prayer reminds us that God is around us and with us all the time, and it increases our ability to res resist temptation by his spirit working in us, but a reminder that at some point in this day, I'm going to say, God, thank you so much for being with me today and mean it because I didn't do something I'm ashamed of in the presence of God that evening or in that moment when I prayed to him. Prayer can bring about a change in me. Strengthens us. Reminds us that God is with us always and always with us. And then the other thing that, that prayer does is sometimes when we go and pray to God, it brings his will closer to ours. And there's sometimes when we go to God in prayer, it brings our will, our will closer to his. A prayer is always about bringing God's will and our will into one place and one unity and one union. And, and when we go to, in, to God in prayer, he hears us, but sometimes it means we need to hear him in prayer too. And all of this is possible because prayer is powerful and effective. So here's the thing. It's become very popular to tell people these days, uh, I'm sending good vibes your way. And that has uh, the universal and cosmic effect of, I think, nothing. I don't think your good vibes change anything. Maybe you're a vibe master and you can send out good vibes better than I can. Uh, I don't know what they're trying to do when they say that. But here's the problem. There are Christians who say, man, I'm sorry to hear about that. I'm going to be praying for you that then don't do that. That your prayers are as ineffective as the good vibes because you're not actually approaching the God and creator of the universe who is your father and asking him to change that person's circumstances. So when you tell somebody you're going to be in my thoughts and prayers, pray about it. 
Why? Because you're not sending good vibes to them. You're approaching the God who created everything and asking him to change their circumstances. Do that because it might change their life. And when someone tells you, I'm going to be sending thoughts and prayers to you, don't brush it off and say, I'd rather you do something about it. Because those prayers are doing something about it if they're really saying them. And if what you're saying is, I hope those thoughts and prayers begin to transform you and bring your will into God's will into the same place, that's a bigger thing. But don't just dismiss someone who's offering to use the great, great tool of being a righteous person, giving powerful and effective prayers to the God who is in control of everything. We can't be little about our prayers. We've got to be big about our prayers because it's the most incredible gift God's given us. Here's what you need to know today. The prayers of a righteous person are powerful and effective. You need to know that God is a good judge. You need to know that God is a good father and that God has good gifts to those who will ask him and will open doors to those who are ready to walk through them. Will you ask God? Will you go through the doors he opens? Will you be people whose prayers open uh, the possibility that God can change you and God can be willing to change your circumstances and God can change the world because you're willing to ask? If you need those kinds of prayers, come forward this morning as we stand and sing.